0: And the other one from Philippians 4, verses 4 to 9. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree. Planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do, prospers. Now to Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learnt or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Thank you very much, Victoria. Let me uh, just grab my things. And we're thinking about growing today as we continue our Blueprint Sermon series. And growing, uh, you hopefully are aware, is one of our three vision priorities, connecting, praying, and growing. So it's really important uh, to me and to us as a church. And I want to suggest it's of relevance for us all. Now for you, Paul, and, uh, and uh, Godparent there listening, and Annie and the other Godparent who I think are out at the moment, your focus, of course, is on Eloise. How can she grow into the girl she was made to be? Happy, at peace, and fulfilling the potential God has given her. But for the rest of us, the questions are the same, yet this time for ourselves. For growing is our calling as Christians, for all of us to the very end of our lives. And God wants us too to be happy, at peace, And becoming and being the person that we were made to be by him. So this is a sermon on exactly that. Incorporating both good mental health and good spiritual health too. Yet rooted in the realities of the world we now live in. In which arguably achieving those things has never been harder. For in the smartphone era... We live in a world, don't we, that is often manically busy, at times brutal, as any social media user will know, and in which we are bombarded by such information, so much information, 24 7, that we're often left stressed, anxious, and overwhelmed. So, this topic matters, and I'm going to tackle it in two halves. First, What are the challenges of our current cultural context that make life and growing as Christians so hard? And secondly, what better way does the Bible offer us? Now, let me say too uh, that there will be an opportunity to be prayed for by the Prayers for Healing team at the end of the service because we certainly need God's help to put this into practice. But let me pray for us all now before. The sermon continues. Father God, thank you that you call us to grow, which means you give us the help that we need. You are invested in us. Help us to allow you to enable us to flourish and use these words, these scriptures, to help us know how to live in the particular challenges that we now face in the culture and the context in which we live. Amen. Okay, on with the sermon. And actually, I think I can best sum it up, uh, the cultural moment that we're in, uh, by telling you a little story. I want to describe to you the video that Kate and I was sent by her sister a few weeks ago. Now, the context is that... um, she had, uh, her sister had her first child last September. And up to now, he has been immobile, like Eloise. Um, and uh, I'm sure not being able to move uh, was for him frustrating, perhaps for his parents less so. However, the video that we were sent marked uh, that, how that had actually dramatically changed. And in this video, I'll just describe it to you uh, as we saw it. Uh, you see uh, young, um, uh, his name's gone out of my head, he'll come back to me in a minute, <laughs> how strange, <laughs> that's really embarrassing, <laughs> come back to that, anyway, here he is, <laughs> Miles he's called, right. He's sitting, he's sitting there, and suddenly his attention is drawn, and uh, we watch him, and, and we, we can't see what his attention's drawn by, but we see him sort of reaching out, and, um, and as he sort of reaches out, he suddenly sort of falls onto, uh, onto his, uh, into a crawling position um, and, and down in that position. And then yet he, he doesn't quite know what to do. So he, he sort of reaches out a hand, reaches out a leg, reaches out another hand, reaches out another leg and suddenly realizes that he's on the move. And so off he goes, slowly, hesitantly, but he's getting there and the video tracks him across the room. And we're all waiting to see what is it he's heading for. Is it one of his toys? Is it a person? Is it a pet? Is it something to eat? And then finally at the end of the video, we discover as he reaches his irresistible goal, his father's mobile phone. (laughs) A scenario I think every young parent or grandparent or godparent will recognise. It's irresistible to them, isn't it? It's a cute video, but I wonder if it's also symbolic of the place that we've got to culturally at this moment in time in the 2020s, I suspect actually in virtually every part of the world, in which we crave that small piece of electronic equipment, without which we feel our life is not complete at whatever moment of the day because we want it with us. We have to have it so that if there's a spare moment, we can fill the void. But of course, this isn't really about phone calls, is it? It's about news and information, online games, entertainment, and of course, electronic communication, whether texts, emails, WhatsApp messages, social media posts, or the like, which taken as a whole we have nearly all become addicted to using it to fill every spare moment of every day and the consequences well of course on one level they are positive as we stay in better touch with more people than we did before at least in electronic superficial form social media tells us what more of our friends and family and acquaintances are up to you may or may not welcome that (laughs) More people wish us a happy birthday or comment on other happy or, in West Ham's case, often sad events of life. Communicating quickly to multiple numbers of people has never been easier. We're far less likely to get lost or miss each other at a station or in a crowd. And with all the other functions of smartphones too, whenever short of a camera, a calculator, a torch or a diary, And can move on from paper tickets or even paper money if we wish. That's the good side. We may even be better informed on virtually any topic about the world, about what's going on in the country and beyond. And we can get the information that we need on virtually any topic at any moment that we please. But has it left us happier More peaceful, more productive, or more attentive to the people and environment around us? I suspect we all know the answer is generally no. And then spiritually, as that's our main focus today, are we closer to God? More sensitive to his promptings and perspectives? And more in tune with his heart? Again, I think I know what the answer much of the time for many people would be. In short, we've become more distracted, often more stressed about what others think of us, with more uh, fear of missing out, FOMO, as younger people know it, less peace, less clarity of thought because of everything that's going around our head, less sensitive to each other's feelings often, and less appreciative of our physical surroundings an actual physical interaction with other human beings. Ask any youth worker or teacher, and they will tell you that the ability of young people to actually talk to each other physically, face-to-face, has, has dramatically reduced. That's what the online world has brought. And if we're completely honest, given all of that that I've just described, in our heart of hearts, we know that's not the place that we want to be. Now picture the typical dinner scene in many families these days in which every member is eating whilst, eating whilst reading their phones and I think we can see that the balance isn't right. Now of course that's fine on occasions but when it becomes habitual clearly we're all losing out and as Christians it leaves us a pale shadow of what we used to be or would like to be. Our heads and hearts become more divided, cluttered, and confused as the information overload takes its toll. So that's the challenge of life in the 2020s. For not, not for everyone, obviously, and not for any of us all of the time. But for nearly all of us, some of the time, this is the challenge that we face. What wisdom, then, does the Bible offer us? How can that balance be restored? How can we experience the advantages of technological change without becoming less human, less Christian than we were before? Well, what I think links our red passages with the problem that we're addressing is that they too describe a scenario in which a person's thoughts and dreams and aspirations... And attentions are filled and absorbed. Yet this time, not with the things that I've just described, that leave us a pale shadow of ourselves, but with God, our creator and sustainer, who can bring the clarity and sensitivity and the peace and the perspective that we need. For, and this is such an important point, he is only good for us, He is not a mixed blessing. When He fills our hearts and our minds, we're not inhibited. We're not distracted. We don't shrivel into something smaller and less loving than the previous version of ourselves. Rather, we come alive, alive to our potential, alive to our opportunities, alive to those around us, and alive to the peace and enjoyment of life that only God can bring. And the passages expressed it beautifully, and they did it like this. So first, in Psalm 1, it uses the metaphor of a tree set in Israel's hot and dry climate, in which, ready, water supply is what counts. Now, of course, weather-wise, we don't have that problem in the UK. Sometimes I wish we did. There's no lack of rainfall here. But as a metaphor for living in a spiritually barren environment here in the UK... The psalm definitely works. And actually, the verse that precedes the metaphor seems strangely relevant to our age too. I don't know if you were struck by this. Now, that's not at first glance, because I doubt that many of us would use the words wicked, sinners, and mockers to describe most of our acquaintances or friends. Far from perfect, though, any of us may be. But if we broaden our focus to the character of so much social media and online comment and the harmful effects of young people and others of online bullying, internet trolls, hate mail posted anonymously and the like. Well, it seems an altogether more fitting description. And sadly, that is the age in which we live. It's the culture we now live in, online at least, even if face-to-face fortunately it is not quite like that. And the question the psalmist asks of us in the light of this is this, are we being influenced, even poisoned by the cynicism, unpleasantness, judgmentalism, and ultimately self-destructive mindset of that culture, or are we instead culture makers? Influencing that culture as standard bearers, as lights in the darkness, offering a better way as spirit-led ambassadors of Christ. And if we want to be the latter, which scripture calls us to be, then it's filling the space in our heads and our hearts with something far healthier and more uplifting and godlier that counts. Something that pushes out the negativity, the cynicism, the self-absorption, or the critical spirit that can so easily infect us. And replacing it with all that is good and true and loving and beautiful, the very characteristics of God himself, which Jesus showed to us every day of his life. Now, Psalm 1 expresses that better way as delighting, in the law of the Lord. It's such a powerful verb, isn't it? To delight in something. Now, law there, um, most of you will be aware, refers to the first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah, as Jewish people know it. That was all they had at that time. But of course, we have the whole revelation now of the Bible, including the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, and all that it brought, much of which, in truth, is a little easier to delight in than the book of Numbers and Leviticus, (laughs) if you've tried reading them from those first five books. And we can delight in it in many different ways. Of course, through reading it and listening to it read, but also through Christian songs inspired by it, or by Christian podcasts that bring it alive. But less directly, also by looking at Christian artwork, or reading Christian books, or watching Christian films or videos, or by doing Christian courses, or joining a life group, or by serving those in need, or simply getting out into the countryside and enjoying God's creation. In short, anything that helps us to delight in God's truth, love, and majesty is, for me, an outworking of this principle. If it feeds us and encourages us, that's great, It's all part of tapping into the living water that is the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. God's word in action in the broadest sense. So however you're wired, and we're all wired differently, aren't we? However you're wired, find what works for you to feed you spiritually and embrace it and then enjoy seeing its impact for good on your life. Impact expressed in that psalm In that picture of the leaves that don't wither. And a tree that in season bears good fruit. A picture of health and vitality, strength and longevity. It's God in our lives, inspiring and encouraging us, shaping and using us. And what about Philippians 4? Well, it may perhaps mischievously have been given to the Prime Minister to read last week, but it's also one of the most powerful and practical passages on how to grow in faith. And it builds on what we've just heard from Psalm 1. It starts by calling us to count our blessings rather than our challenges and frustrations. That's surely the thrust of rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. It's saying, remember how much God has done for you, not least through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And remember the blessings it has brought. Remember all he has given you. All of the joys, all of the resources, all of the opportunities, all of the people. And then it says, turn that rejoicing into prayer. Remembering that God is near. He's watching over us, ready to listen and respond. Do not be anxious about anything It continues, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I hope you want that peace. I certainly do. And then, really driving home that idea that it's when we fill our minds with good things, the things of God, that the bad things and the anxiety-producing things get driven out, we find these memorable words. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy think about such things. Which of course is far broader than meditating on the words of scripture, valuable though that is. For as we've already concluded, anything that encourages, equips, inspires us spiritually or morally is good for us and to be embraced wherever we find it, in church, in the Christian community or beyond. So will you prioritise that in your life? Will you build it into your routine, making sure those good things are filling your mind, your thoughts, influencing your heart? Because we can all do it. We fill it with stuff as it is. We just need to change the stuff. Every one of us can do it. And then Paul finishes with a final thing to focus on, a final element in this biblical blueprint on how we grow, which is to imitate others, those who inspire us, those who nurture us, and those who set a good example of how to live for God. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And again, the God of peace will be with you. Now, it's often said, isn't it, that everyone needs a Paul and everyone needs a Timothy. And it's a reference to the mentoring relationship that Paul had with the younger leader, Timothy. It reflects the power of role models, which every successful business these days tends to have incorporated, and so do the churches. And it's what Paul is recognising here. He's saying that when it becomes appropriate, do offer yourself to help someone younger in the faith to grow But equally, never stop seeking to learn from others yourself, however old you may be. So who are you imitating? There are certainly so many good examples of people walking faithfully with God in this church. We celebrate that. It means there's no shortage of options on people to imitate and learn from. And it means, too, there will almost certainly be someone Or more than one person with similar giftings or similar challenges or similar opportunities or similar personalities to yourselves who could be particularly helpful to you. Yet whatever you're looking for, if you'd like a mentor but don't have someone to approach, please, please do talk to me, talk to Liz who leads our Growing Disciples ministry, talk to Sophie or any of the other ministry leaders or members of staff, and we can come back to you with a suggestion. It's such a powerful thing to bring into your life, someone who can help you to grow. And I would love to get many more mentoring relationships established throughout the church. And at the same time, particularly if you're a more mature Christian, if you'd like to offer to be a mentor or help someone younger in the faith, please again let us know, and we can set you up with someone. It could be such a great opportunity to pass on the things God has taught you through your life. And a great privilege and encouragement too. I need to finish. So let me do it with another story. Last week, uh, myself and my family, we went up to Edinburgh to stay with the McGowan family that some of you will remember. They were here until about two years ago. We had a wonderful time. But um, on the way... Uh, the children, as they inevitably do, decided after, you know, two or three hours, it might be fun to go for a walk on the train. Uh, so they decided they wanted to go to the toilet. Whether they actually needed to, I don't know. Um, but not being so confident in how to work the, uh, the system in these modern toilets, they asked me to go with them. So I went with Harry. And um, he went into the toilet, said, I'm not going to lock the door. You stay outside and just um, make sure no one opens it. Or comes in. He goes in there. And I suddenly panic. Why did I panic? I hadn't brought my phone. (laughs) I'd left it on the table. In the carriage. And I was thinking, what am I going to do? You know, you could be in the toilet for ages. (laughs) And then I felt God saying to me, just stop and look out the window. I looked out the window just as the East Coast main line was going by the coast just north of Newcastle, around Berwick and into Scotland. It's one of the most beautiful parts um, of the British Rail Network. And I felt that God was saying to me, this is what happens when you stop. This is what happens when you lay down and leave behind for a period of time that which distracts you and turn your eyes to the beauty around you. Turn your eyes to things that speak of me and my character and my love and my handiwork and just pause and reflect. And as I looked out there, I felt God suddenly start to speak to me about a number of things in a very gentle, peaceful and helpful way. Because unplanned, I had given him space. And I think he gave that to me as a reminder that that's what we all need to do in our lives. For that's what growth is. Giving space to God so we have more of God in our lives and bring more of God into the lives of others. And ultimately, that is the most fulfilling, peace-giving and joyful place we can be. Amen.